The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the nation's public radio source for all the latest news, strategies, tips, and techniques to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today is question and answer week. It is your monthly opportunity to get all those questions that just don't seem to fit in any place else asked live during this hour at 772-9658 if you're in the greater Cincinnati area. If you're listening to us on the web at wmkvfm.org, you can call toll-free at 877-772-9658, or you can send an email by going to our website at askvina.com. You can fill out the questionnaire form there. Remember to tell us where you are writing from, and you can also sign up for our weekly e-letter which not only tells you about the topics and guests that are coming up on Real Life Real Estate Investing, but also gives you news from the real estate world, as well as useful information and articles. That is askvina.com to send in your questions. And remember, do that earlier rather than later. Always, always, always. I leave the station and go home and find the three emails that were sent at 5.48 p.m., Eastern time and did not arrive here on time. So easiest way is call 513-772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area or toll free 877-772-9658 outside the greater Cincinnati area. You can also send an email to askvina, I'm sorry, by going to askvina.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A. Quick meeting change announcement for the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, the monthly wholesaling subgroup, which is open to members of Cincinnati REA, uh, which is will be held as usual on the first Wednesday of the month, which is next Wednesday, the 3rd of August, has changed locations yet again. It is now at Buca de Beppo in Rookwood Commons, uh, so same same general area, different meeting place. The meeting begins at uh, 6 p.m. So uh, if you're interested in wholesaling and you're a Cincinnati area member and you want to know more about how to do it, go to Buca de Beppo on Wednesday the 3rd at 6 p.m. Also, the first RIA meeting of the month of August is next Thursday, August the 4th. The early meeting is about turnkey rentals, how to evaluate them, how to buy them, how to sell them. Uh, the main meeting is how to improve your credit or the credit of your tenant or buyers with 
Lucy Brenton, the original credit coach who was a guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing a few weeks ago. That meeting again Thursday, August the 4th, usual location, the creative, or the, uh, sorry, CAA building, not creative, the Community Action Agency building, which is at the corner of Reading and Seymour in the old Swifton Commons, now Jordan Crossing. Uh, Six o'clock for the early meeting, 7.30 for the main meeting. More information at CincinnatiREIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. So it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. As it is on the last Wednesday of every month, we're going to go to emails right now because uh, we don't have any callers at the moment at 877-772-772. Nine six five eight. A question here from Frank in Youngstown, Ohio. He says, "Hi, Vina. Love your show and all the info and insight you provide to investors." I thanks, Frank. I have an opportunity to buy a house subject to the existing loan. I was just wondering how you draw up contracts for this kind of of purchase. I was told by the title company attorney that they would have to disclose to the mortgage holder the transaction details. Would this trigger the due on sale clause? I know that some mortgages are assumable or assignable, but you need pre-authorization from the lender. How do you typically set up these kinds of deals? Thanks for your help. Well, Frank, in terms of going to the closing and getting possession of the property, really all you need is a deed from the seller to you. And this business about how the title company, quote, has to uh, give the details to the mortgage holder, uh, that's really not true. If the if you will um, get yourself a copy of a blank HUD-1 settlement statement, you'll notice that there is a line on there that says mortgages assumed or bought subject to. And he simply puts the number on that line. And uh, it's right there on the HUD-1. It's a pre-printed, it's a pre-printed line on the HUD-1 statement. Uh, I would suggest that you might need to go to another title company, not because, you know, if he, if, if he calls the, the lender and says, uh, where do I send this? They're going to say, well, are we getting paid off? And if we're not, we don't, we don't know where to send it. Uh, but because this one doesn't sound like he knows that much about investment deals. Doesn't sound that much like he's an investor-friendly title agent. And it's always important with our outside team, our title companies, attorneys, real estate agents, CPAs, people like that, that they understand our business and that they are uh, have educated themselves about how to do these transactions. And it does not sound like this guy has done this. Uh, so that's the basic paperwork. I mean, it's a deed, right? Now, I, I assume that since, you're, since you have already gone to the stage of talking to a title agent about this, that you've already written up the purchase contract on the deal, which means that uh, uh, you, you actually you know have the right to buy it this way. If not, the only wording on the purchase contract that's different from any other deal you might do is, you know, that line where it says how much you'll pay, and then it says payable as follows. And if you're using a board contract, it might say uh, cash, conventional, FHAVA, you know, you check a box and then there's a box that says other. You would check the box that said other and you would write in subject to the existing first mortgage in the approximate amount of $78,327 at a fixed interest rate of whatever you believe that to be 6.5%. Uh, with uh, uh, 27 years, four months remaining, whatever whatever the details of the loan are, so that if you, as I have on, in a number on a number of occasions, 
Uh, if you uh, begin the title search and you discover there's a second mortgage on the property that the owner sort of failed to report to you and that you really don't want to buy the property subject to, or if you later get a, a, a look at the loan details and discover that that 6.5% is not fixed and you don't want to take over that loan, uh, you've got the wording in there saying, this is the loan I am taking over and no other. At the closing, you probably want to have a disclosure to the seller explaining that he, un- or uh, <coughs> uh, affirming, because I assume you've already explained this to him, that he understands that his mortgage is not being paid off, that he understands that he is selling the house, that he will not have rights to write off the interest and in taxes as he has been, that you've made no guarantees as to when the loan would be paid off, but that you will be making the monthly payments, and that the loan does have a due on sale clause, which might allow the which would allow the lender to call the loan due uh, should they discover the subject to and care about it both. Uh, you might also want to add a clause to that disclosure, Frank, and this is just personal experience. It says that uh, the seller is, tells you, affirms to you, that he does not intend to declare bankruptcy and that he understands that if he does declare bankruptcy, that the bank will probably foreclose on the property even if the payments are current. And if he does declare bankruptcy, that you will have the right to cease making payments. Because if he declares bankruptcy, the bank insists on foreclosing on the property, you're not in a position or it's not desirable for you to refinance or sell the property. Uh, you don't want to have, you don't want to be obligated to the seller to continue to make payments on it until the bank comes and takes it. That just doesn't make sense. So, uh, that's sort of the documentation you need there, Frank, and, uh, good luck with it. Find another title company. You're listening to real life, real estate investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones Cox. It's question and answer week here on real life, real estate, which means that you can ask any questions that, uh, you've been saving up or pop into your mind during the show that uh, related to real estate investing in any way, form, or manner. You can do that by giving us a call at 513-772-9658 or by giving us a call outside the greater Cincinnati area at 877-772-9658. Uh, you can also send us an email by going to the website at askvena.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A dot com. We'll be back with your questions right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's the last week of the month, and that makes it question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing taking your questions via via phone or email. You can call us in the greater Cincinnati area at 513-772-9658 or toll-free at 877-772-9658. You can also go to askvina.com and send an email, as did Paul from Cincinnati, who is asking me if I can recommend someone who has good materials on negotiating with homeowners or sellers. And Paul, the answer is, can can I recommend someone? I, I, sure, I certainly can. Names are jumping to my mind right now. Uh, the issue is public radio. If you've ever wondered, listeners, why when you listen to real life real estate investing, it's not one long commercial to sell your house, use realtor services, you know, to use a particular bank or title company or uh, buy a course. It's because it's public radio. And the big advantage of it is I get these experts on here and all they can do 
for 48 minutes, not counting the commercials, is give information. The bad side is when I get a specific question for a recommendation on a product, service, course, etc. Um, not can't really uh, can't really promote anything specific. So, uh, Paul, I know you're a member of Cincinnati Rhea. If uh, you will see me at the August fourth, I guess it is meeting. So, just uh, hit me up there and we'll talk. Uh, question from Sandy in New York. I was wondering when this one was going to come up. It says, I saw a post on a real estate forum regarding a new law that might have been passed on July 22nd, 2011, that basically makes seller financing a thing of the past, since it says that a buyer can walk away with their down payment after three years. Well, Sandy, the law to which you were referring was not passed on July 22nd, 2011. The law to which you were referring was passed in 2010, and it is called the Frank Dodd Act. You may have heard of it. There was a lot of uh, talk about it and controversy about it at the time at which it passed, but that talk and controversy was not regarding the thing that you are referring to because that thing snuck up on us. The Dodd-Frank Act is sort of a sweeping bank and lending reform act. It's one of those laws that's so long that no one actually read it from end to end. And buried in there, there's some language that talks about... uh, um, how loans have to be done and does not exclude from that long, 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 long list of how loans have to be done people who are selling their own properties. And I'm really not sure that Congress or the Senate meant in any way to tell your mother, your 80-year-old mother, that she couldn't sell her rental property to an up-and-coming young landlord on payments without having a mortgage originator's license or following certain rules about how long that mortgage had to be and whether or not there was a balloon in it. But because it doesn't exclude seller financing, uh, we can all assume that we are included in that. Uh, What happened on January 22nd was that the Federal Reserve, who was actually given the power to enact the specifics of the law, uh, ended their comment period about that. And uh, there was a lot of um, uh, chatter on the internet about how uh, we should all go to their website and point out that It was going to be extremely problematic for your typical mom and pop seller or investor to go through the process that's required to qualify a potential buyer um, and to and to follow some of the terms, some of the loan terms that uh, this law outlines, for instance, that loans don't have balloons and be 30 years and not have negative amortization and things like that. Uh, The big problem here is not so much that we're all sitting around saying, well, gosh, how are we going to sell our houses with owner financing? It's that uh, if it goes through the way, if these rules go through, because the law's already passed, if these rules go through the way they have been proposed by the Federal Reserve, it is going to remove housing choice for millions upon millions of Americans who cannot qualify for conventional Fannie Mae, VA, Freddie Mac, FHA types of loans. I mean, there's so many people out there right now who have been through foreclosure in the last two to three years, and they really don't want to rent. They understand that owning a home gives them tax breaks and pride of ownership and that they're actually, by making their house payment, building their own financial independence, and the banks won't touch them. 
and now we're being told that maybe we can't touch them either, even though we're willing to take more risk on these folks uh, than the banks currently are. So what happened on July 22nd is that the Federal Reserve closed its comment period. The final ruling has not come out. Uh, my understanding from talking to some folks uh, in the note business is that they received something like 5,000 comments between the time they opened that comment period and the time that they closed it, which was only about a seven or 10 day period. We will see what comes out the back end of all of this. And when we know, we will, of course, talk about it here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Um, wouldn't bet that it's going to make seller financing a thing of the past. It's going to potentially throw a, a lot of rules in the way of the small investor and just the property owner who wants to sell you a house. And I'll tell you, the thing that you referenced there, Sandy, which is that if uh, the, the, the the teeth in this, if you don't follow all these rules, if you don't fully qualify your buyer and <clears throat> make a, uh, a bona fide effort to make sure that they can, in fact, make the payments, although they don't tell you what that qualification actually would be, uh, the, the teeth in it is that that buyer who was not fully qualified or didn't get the right kind of loan has up to three years to basically reverse it and walk away. Say, I want my money back. You didn't do this right. My first thought was predatory buying. Think about that for a minute. I'm not going to describe it because someone who hasn't thought of it will go, oh, wow, that sounds like a great idea. But think about that for a minute, Sandy. Think about how that could be abused. Of course, there's another law out there that uh, passed back during the Bush administration and went into effect last year. And the final ruling was in May this year, uh, which is the SAFE Act that also affects this entire business. So we probably need to have a show on that pretty quickly in the future. Uh, but uh, we want to see what the what the finalish rules look like. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate. It's question and answer week, last week of the month. And that means that whatever questions you have, about real estate investing, you can call us or you can email them through our website at askmina.com. The phone numbers here at the station are 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. A question from Troy in Georgetown, Kentucky. He says, if I make an offer on a HUD-owned home and it is accepted, is the deal assignable? Also, if an agent is involved, who is responsible for the commission on a HUD property? Well, Troy, I'll take the second question first because it's the easier one to answer. Uh, as in almost all MLS listings, uh, HUD pays the play, pays both your agent and their agent from the proceeds of the sale. So typically you do not have to be the one to pay anyone. Uh, in terms of the question about is the deal assignable, the answer is almost certainly not. Like other types of bank-owned properties, uh, HUD contracts typically have a, a, a an addendum in them that says, um, uh, it actually, it's not, it's not an addendum in this case, because with HUD properties, you don't fill out the standard agency, the standard board contract, submit it, and then, and then have the bank uh, uh, accept it and then send you back an addendum. Uh, with HUD properties, you fill out the HUD contract. And the HUD contract is online. Your agent has access to it if they are registered with HUD. And there is a non-assignability clause in the HUD contract. So you will have to decide whether you want to buy it and then sell it, or whether you want to use transactional funding to purchase it, or whether you want to use... Uh, some sort of uh, backdoor assignment 
using an LLC or something of that nature. So thank you very much for your email, Troy. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. Waiting for your questions at 513-772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email by going to the website at askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox's Question and Answer Week. And that means that uh, if you don't have questions, then we don't have a show. So if there's any question that you have uh, been mulling over or would like a second opinion on, give us a call. If you're in Cincinnati, the number is 513-772-9658. If you are outside the greater Cincinnati area, the number is 877-772-9658. You can also send us a an email by going to askvina.com, clicking on the button that says Ask Vina a Question, filling it in. You'll notice right there at the bottom of that of that of that email response form, it says, Where are you writing from? Please fill that in. Otherwise I get these emails that say Fred from blank. And I don't necessarily know how to answer your question if I don't know what market you are working in. So a question that just came in from Robert in Hudson, Ohio. He says, currently, which leads are generating the most wholesale deals for you? Frustrated landlords, estate sales, or pre-foreclosures? And actually, Robert, the answer is none of the above. Uh, Right now, we're doing a lot of work with... Uh, bulk wholesalers, people who are buying properties or sometimes defaulted notes 20 and 30 at a time, uh, often all over the state of Ohio or even all over the region. And then, of course, they don't intend to own those. They want to sell them. And many times they've gotten them at such good prices that they can sell them to me at you know, 40 cents on the dollar. And if I want to wholesale that, I can wholesale that at 55 or 60 cents on the dollar. So um, it's, uh, it's an, again, we we did a show on this. If you go to, uh, go to our podcast on iTunes, uh, there's a show with a fellow named Lindsay Younts from Econo Homes, and he talks quite a bit about that strategy. But uh, just if you, if you ask me about the last couple of months, I got to say that is the number one way that we are getting deals at the moment. And uh, in fact, we <laughs> had so many deals in the last few weeks that we actually uh, stopped mar- stopped doing our marketing because we had nine deals under contract all at once, but we're picking it back up now. So uh, there's the answer to your question. Thank you for your question, Robert. A uh, question from Stan in Omaha, Nebraska. Where can I learn more about renting to Section 8 tenants and the process? I have not seen anyone do a show on it for a few years. Well, <clears throat> there's a there's a reason, Stan, that we don't we haven't done uh, shows on Section Eight housing in a few years. Uh, Section Eight, although it is a Department of Housing and Urban Development program, is actually administered at the local level, sometimes by the city, sometimes by the county, and although the the rules for the program are generally the same. In other words, um, who the clients are and how much they can pay and how the vouchers work and so on. The details of the workings of the program vary from area to area. 
uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine in a part, a part of Florida on the Gulf Coast the other day who said that they are able to take a Section 8 tenant, put in their paperwork, and have them and the property approved within three weeks. And I could have fallen off my chair because here in the Cincinnati area, four to six weeks with six weeks being more common uh, is what we are finding right now. And I've heard people from other parts of Ohio saying six weeks would be quick for them. And it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not a show that we can really do and and sort of cover all the folks uh, in the country. And also since the landlords in Cincinnati are a little bit out of shape about how long it takes to get a Section 8 uh, tenant processed and some of the problems that have gone on there. I'm a little afraid to bring somebody from Cincinnati Section 8 onto the show. So uh, this is the recommendation that I would give you, Stan. Uh, Go to your local Section 8 administrator, whoever that is. They may, as do Section 8 programs in a lot of areas, actually have a program that they hold once a month or once a quarter where you as a landlord who wants to provide Section 8 housing can go to a class on a Saturday morning and find out what the rules and requirements are. So uh, appreciate the question. Sorry, we can't help as much as I would like to here. Uh, question from Scott in St. Paul. He says, uh, with experienced private lenders, what are their primary concerns in evaluating to lending to someone that they are not familiar with? If a lower level of experience, that would be two rehabs to date, is going to hurt me, what other factors about me, the property, or the loan can make up for that? Uh, That is a great question, Scott. And, of course, private lenders are not some unified group that go to conventions in Las Vegas once a year and sit around and talk about their loan terms and and how, how much interest they charge and so on. They're really typically individuals who a lot of them don't even know anybody else who is doing private loans and they sort of they sort of set their requirements which is what you're really asking about here based on what they personally are comfortable with what the what the borrower can talk them into uh, etc now one of the most common misconceptions that I see out there is newer investors thinking that either they will not be able to get private money because they don't have some giant portfolio of properties to 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 show as experience or that if they do get it they're going to have to pay a very high rate of interest. I talked to a guy the other day who was offering 20% interest to a private lender and I said you you know that that is such a high interest rate that you're literally going to scare off private lenders, that they're literally going to say, that's too good to be true. There's, no, there's, there's got to be something wrong here. There's no way anybody could pay 20% interest. Uh, I've seen a lot of new investors get private money for their very first deals or sometimes their you know, second or third deals, generally from somebody that they have a little bit of a level of comfort with, somebody who's a friend, family, colleague, or friends of friends, friends of colleagues, etc., the thing that I am more concerned about for new investors than uh, than the availability of money, because there is somebody out there who, if you just asked, would make you the loan that you want at the interest rate you want and for the term that you want. Because the, I mean, you just offer your, what 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 investors offer to private lenders are just it's just so much. Eight percent is 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 like is like almost four times what these folks can get from a CD or a money market account. 
what I'm more concerned about is that you know that the private lender's money is safe. If you don't have a lot of experience and you have not done a lot of deals and run across a lot of problems, um, I would say that you need to document that deal just to make sure that you don't get in trouble doing what you said you would do for the private lender. And when I say document the deal, I'd say get a licensed home inspection, get an appraisal, an after-repaired appraisal, get a statement of work from a contractor who is saying, yes, I will do this work that is on this inspection for this amount of money before you go out seeking private money. Because you don't want to make your mistakes as a beginner somebody else's problem when you could be taking half of all the money they have in their retirement fund or all of the money they have in their little investment account. I think it's uh, extremely important that borrowers in these situations be even more responsible than the lenders are going to be because you're going to be shocked when you see how little uh, lenders will do to protect themselves, how little they know about the process, how little they uh, are aware of, of what documents need to be recorded and so on. Many times they hear that 8% interest rate and they're just ready to write a check right now without doing anything that they should be doing in the way of due diligence. So you do that. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. We're taking calls at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or taking your questions via email at asknina.com. The WMKV Golf Classic returns this year on Monday, August 29th at Makatiwa Country Club on Reading Road. The event raises money for WMKV Public Radio. We hope you'll reserve the date for your foursome. Foursome and individual golfer signups and sponsorship opportunities are still available. Join us for a day of great golf and great fun and great exposure for your company. Monday, August 29th at Makatiwa. More details on golfing or sponsorship opportunities from Megan at 513-782-2462. That's 513-782-2462. Mark your calendars now for the WMKV Golf Classic on August 29th. More details at 782-2462. And we check on traffic now, and we have uh, the very final stages, cleanup stages, an accident North 71 at the Pfeiffer exit. Uh, Apparently that was uh, several vehicles involved, but they're out of the lanes of traffic. And so if you're in the big backup North 71, approaching the Reagan Highway in Pfeiffer, uh, that should be improving very soon. Uh, still have an accident in Harrison at New Haven out in the Harrison area. And we still have uh, actually uh, reports of backups uh, heavier than usual, East 275 between US 42 and I-71. Heat advisory continuing. Uh, heat tonight, uh, low tonight of 72. Tomorrow, sunny, hot, and humid. Heat index of 103. A high temperature tomorrow of 95 degrees. Pretty much the same for Friday as well. And right now, our temperature is 92 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week. You can ask you any question that you have at 772-9658. Outside the greater Cincinnati area, 877-772-9658. Or via email by going to askvina.com. You should also check out our Facebook site, which has now 
1,029 fans. They're not fans anymore. They're likes. They're just thumbs up. Still going to call them fans. It's at realliferealestateradio.com. You can go there and join a community of folks who love real estate and love real life real estate. Again, that's realliferealestateradio.com. Boy, lots of questions coming in via email. I'm wondering if it's just so hot outside that the energy of picking up the phone and dialing it is just too much for folks. Or maybe their phones are too hot to hold to their ears. A question here from Richard in Cincinnati. I am in Cincinnati. What is the best way to find the pre-foreclosure list from the county website or other ways? Uh, You know, Richard, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to every way of getting these pre-foreclosure lists. There are multiple places online that will sell you pre-foreclosure lists and uh, for various amounts of money and some of them deliver them to you daily, some weekly, some monthly. Um, Here in Hamilton County, we are very lucky in that almost all of our court data is easily accessible through the court clerk's website and the more I the more I travel around the country and talk to other folks, the more I realize how lucky we are that you can you can pull data on various types of, of suits and so on directly from that website. Now, the difference is, of course, when you buy the list, you get this nice, neat little list. And it says, here's the property address, and here's the bank that the money is owed to, and here's how much money is owed. And often it will also say, and here's if there's a second mortgage. And here's the address of the people who are in foreclosure. So it's it's very neat and clean. Uh, whenever you go onto any public record site to download information like this, they don't make it that neat and clean. You can't just go on and say, yeah, show me the foreclosures from the last month. You actually have to go through the suits filed one by one by one by one by one and pull out all that information on your own. But on the other hand, it's free. So you kind of have to make a decision there for yourself about whether to use one of the purchase lists or to use the county lists. A question from Max in Hamilton, Ohio. He says, hi, total newbie here. I want to get started in wholesaling and I have two questions. Number one, how do I recruit buyers before having a deal to sell? Number two, do I need a lawyer and set up an entity before doing my first deal? Uh, Well, Max, I will give you my own non-legal opinion. This is not legal accounting or other professional advice. If you need legal accounting or other professional advice, please contact your legal professional or other, I don't remember what the whole disclaimer says, but you heard it at the beginning of the show, so you can't deny it. Um, Wholesaling is low risk enough that the the chances, in my experience, that you're going to get sued over any particular wholesale deal are, are, I mean, unless you're doing something criminal, they are really, really, really low. So I kind of feel like go do the deal before you spend the money on the entity. I mean, the property, if you're truly wholesaling, if you're truly signing contracts, never going to be in your name anyway, not for one minute. So there won't be a lot of liability attached to the property. And if you do the deal right, there shouldn't be a lot of liability attached to the deal. I, I, I'm, I'm always both amused by and frightened by at the same time, uh, people who want to have everything in place before they do anything. I mean, literally I have, I have, I have met and even worked with folks who have, they have their LLC set up. They've got their company logo professionally graphically designed. They have their business cards. They have their letterhead. They've rented an office 
in a, in, a, in a strip mall. They've got all of their computers. They've got all of their software. They've got all of their systems, and they've never made an offer. That's you know, there's there's you know, doing things right from the very beginning, and then there's procrastinating because it's easier to decide what the next thing you need to do to get to get to get ready to get ready is than it is to go talk to a seller. So um, my non-legal advice would be set up the entity from the profits of your first deal. Uh, How do you recruit buyers before having a deal to sell? Well, that's pretty easy. I'm not sure what goes on in the minds of newbie wholesalers that uh, somehow like someone who's interested in buying a property wouldn't want to talk to you before you actually had a deal for you for them. Real estate people, real estate entrepreneurs are, in my experience, like the nicest people in the world. You know, you you run across a, you know, grouchy person every so often. But for the most part, people like they want to talk to you about what they're doing. They want to talk to you about what they're looking for. They, they're 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 anxious to tell you how they're making their money. And so the way you get buyers before you have a deal is you go talk to people at your real estate association or at auctions or at real estate classes or wherever you happen to be that there are real estate people around and you say, so what do you do? Oh, you rehab properties? Tell me where. Oh, what's the favorite deal you've ever done? And, you know, just ask them questions and then say, if I find a deal, can I call you about it? And they will say, yes. It's not, it's not that difficult. Don't be scared off by your buyers. If you've had uh, real estate classes, you probably know as much, if not more, than a lot of the folks out there who are holding themselves out as real estate investors. Another question is from Troy in Georgetown, Kentucky. Where do you recommend getting comparables for my area? I'm near Lexington, Kentucky. Are any of the free sites useful? Uh, well, Troy, Kentucky is an interesting case, as is. Indiana for a slightly different reason. Um, in Ohio, we have any number of of paid systems that we can buy that will get us very good, very narrowed, very usable, comparable sales where you can just go in and you can say, I want to see every three bedroom brick house that has a basement and has sold within a half a mile of this house within the last two years. And it will only give you those comparables. It'll, it'll give you whatever you want narrow down in any way you want. The reason that works is that in Ohio, when a property sells, the sale price is recorded in the public record. And also, uh, the public records are in most counties, pretty good public records. In other words, uh, the the county auditor who who does the, the, the tax valuations, actually knows how old the house is that's on that lot, how big it is, how many bedrooms, what the construction is, square footage, all of that sort of stuff. When you go over in Indiana, your problem is that it is what's called a non-disclosure state. When a property is sold, the amount for which it was sold is not recorded in the public records. So you've got a real problem there. When you go down to Kentucky, my experience is that the public records aren't very good. So that even the... Uh, paid systems that are out there that operate in Kentucky, and there aren't that many of them, uh, the data you get is not nearly as thorough. So if I'm over in Covington, and I'm looking at a property at 123 Easy Street, and I go to one of these systems, and I say, show me everything within a half a mile of 123 Easy Street that's a three-bedroom, I get no results, because the county records don't show how many bedrooms the houses have. I just have to look for single families, and then I have to go 
drive around and look at them and kind of eyeball them and see if I think they're two bedrooms, three bedrooms, whatever. So the lesson in all of this is that the best source of comparables in both Kentucky and Indiana and any other non-disclosure state or any other county where the public records are uh, slim on their information is MLS. And that means that you're going to have to get a real estate agent who is willing to run comparable sales for you because MLS does have all this data. Problem is you can't access the sold listings in MLS. Now, I know the free sites to which you are referring. Uh, most of those, as near as I can tell, are getting their data from public record, not from MLS. But you might want to you might want to run an experiment. You might want to find an agent and say, can you comp these three properties for me? And then go do the same thing in one of these free sites and see if the results are different. Uh, here in my area where, again, public records are very accessible, whenever I run a comparable search in one of these free sites, the um, the average estimate that you are given by these sites is is across the board without fail 10 to 20 percent higher than that property would ever sell for so uh can they still be useful yes because they also give you individual properties and what they sold for there's not just the average uh and you can go drive by those properties and see which ones are most similar and which ones are less similar and so on but really i think that mls is going to be your best resource so you're gonna need to get a real estate agent Thank you for your question, though. Um, qu uh, question here from, who is this from? Derek in Arlington, Texas, asking me to send a copy of the e-letter that I offered out to folks two weeks ago, uh, the one that uh, Lucy Brenton wrote about credit repair, about the credit credit system. And uh, there's something that you should know about this askmina.com form. When I receive your emails, I receive them from webmaster at askmina.com and your email doesn't actually appear on my on my little email here. So uh, if you're calling to request that I send you something, please include your email in the body of the email. So Derek, hopefully you're listening or you will listen to our podcast and you will realize that I am not blowing you off, that I really want to send you that but I don't have your email address because of the way in which this came in. Got about five more minutes in which you can uh, preferably give us a call at this point since uh, it's unlikely the email is going to get here, but you can try that and go to askvina.com. You can give us a call at 772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area or 877-772-9658. Uh, got a question here from Howard in Las Vegas. Oh, it's not a question, actually. It is a comment on that previous question from Scott in Minnesota, who said that, who was asking about what uh, private lenders look for in a deal if experience isn't present. And uh, his comment is he looks for a good loan to value ratio. So in other words, if you're trying to borrow 80% of what the property is worth, you're going to get less uh, response from experienced private lenders than if you're asking for, say, 60% of what the property is worth. And that makes sense because if, you know, if I'm a little concerned because you're brand new and I may have to take the property back, I'd like to have to take it back at some price that is uh, significantly lower than the value. 
He says, the other thing is if you have multiple workable exit strategies, that is helpful. And uh, in other words, Scott, if if you're saying to the private lender, well, here's what's going to happen. I am going to fix this house up and I am going to sell it on or before uh, the end of the year when your loan is due, that that is going to be perhaps less compelling to a more experienced private lender or partner than if you say, I intend to sell it, but if I can't sell it, my intention is to uh lease option it and if that if if I have to do that then I will refinance it you know so in other words there's there's exit strategies that not only are reasonable and workable but there's more than one of them and you actually understand how to do them so that is a great point thank you so much uh for that additional response there uh Howard, a question from Andrew in Downers Grove, Illinois, and I have a feeling that this one came in probably right at the end of last week's show when Dave Tillany was talking about doing master leases on single family homes, because the question is, does the guest perform a home inspection or hire outsider or professionals to do so before leasing a property? And uh, to try and sort of answer for Dave, Andrew, I will tell you that he does not uh, hire home inspectors to look at properties that he is uh, leasing. Of course, he looks at them himself. But one of the points he made during the program was that the beauty of leasing a property instead of owning it is that you often don't find out even even after inspecting a property, what's the matter with it until you have owned it for a while and had it um, had had the problems surface. So Yes, I know for sure he does look at the properties himself. Uh, he does not, I don't believe, hire home inspectors to come take a look at them. But thank you for your question. We are out of time on this week's question and answer week. But we will, of course, be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.